This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. Um, you can go ahead and open up to your Bibles. We're going to Luke 14 in a little bit. Um, as you're, you're looking there, um, hopefully um, I've tried to make that if you're here in the morning, if you're here in the evening, where we may be talking about the same topic but hitting it at a kind of different approach, but how many of you also know this? Repetition isn't a bad thing sometimes. <laughs> Just to make sure you really lock into some things. So hopefully, um, as we think through how we can start doing this tonight is kind of the implementing discipleship. Uh, I mentioned this um, in our um, uh, Sunday morning services today, but uh, our, our women's ministry have been going through a Bible study. They normally do some a Thursday uh, study and a Sunday night study. And some of them had asked, they said, hey, is there any way that we can sort of make this into a Bible study that we could go into and so uh, what I did was I, I made like an eight-week Bible study for these ladies to walk through. Uh, they've had a workbook that they've gone along, and I think they're, they've been doing it for a few weeks now. Um, and so what I, I've gotten is just like a, a, a few things from that Bible study into this form. They actually have like daily readings and all this kind of stuff because I was like, well, I'll just give you a Bible passage and some questions. And they're like, but our women's studies normally have like five days of daily readings and this type of activity and this kind of thing. So I went, I read a bunch of women's Bible studies and I came up with something anyway. Uh, but they, they've been going through that. Um, but just in a way, um, as I mentioned this morning, there have been some folks that have sort of said, hey, how can we also maybe show this or, or help someone else out after this? And that's super encouraging. But that's one of the things I've been trying to do is to make sure this is portable. You know, you don't want just something to go, well, you need to listen to our pastor talk about it, but hopefully you could walk alongside somebody and do that. And so that's kind of the prayer. So tonight, as we, we do this uh, implementing discipleship, we're going to kind of start and really think through now, if you've got your plan, either that you have it already ready tonight or something that you're going to do uh, this week, uh, once again, something you're going to bring out next Sunday morning as we start really looking into and thinking through um, how we start getting to work in it. Um, and then we get to start in the book of Malachi. How many of you have ever read through the entire book of Malachi? Just show of hands kind of stuff. And some of, if, y'all, if you have, it's, it can be a scary book. I'm not going to lie. There, there's some, some heavy uh, stuff there, We're, and, it, and it, the softball is not week one either. There's some, there's some challenging stuff that we've got to walk through, uh, but I think it's an important message for us to look at. I want us tonight to, um, as we start, you know, we, we've looked at the, these things this morning, even in church, but the first category, obviously, of delight. What is that thing you need to delight in Jesus more than? What is that area of disobedience that you need to be addressing right here, right now? What is that one doctrine that you're going to study, that you're really going to work hard on? Uh, what is that development that you're working on in your life? Uh, what is that discipline that you're going to really start working at employing, and what is that dependence? Uh, what is that prayer that you're really having to say, Lord, will you do this work inside of me? And um, a lot of people have said, hey, will this work in this category? Does that fit? And it's kind of loose to make sure you go, it works basically on your situation, where you want to be. Um, but we're going to look at, for just for a second, the, uh, the uh, you've turned to Luke chapter 14. But I want us to consider this question here. If you look at that section, it says consider. It says, while we all came to this study in a different spiritual place, and we will each leave with a different set of directions, we have all benefited from the insight and encouragement from others. Your steps in the past can help direct another's decisions in the uh, future. And this this, um, question right here is, I think, a very important one to look at. How have you noticed God growing you recently? I want you to just think about that question for a second. How have you noticed God growing you recently? Now, if you've um, ever realized this, that um, somebody, a friend of mine mentioned this one time. He said, if you look on social media and see what everybody's doing, normally you only see their highlight reel. 
right? It's all the only pictures you post are in your best light. You know, your best side. The only problem is I haven't found a good light or a good side for me. But you, you, that, that, that's the only type of things you post. You only post the good things that are going on. Some people might be down, but you go, here's all the good stuff that's going on. So we kind of live in a really fictitious world where it seems like if you look at some people, they only share the good stuff. And many of you know, for the one good thing you might be experiencing today, is there a lot of bad stuff or a lot of frustrating stuff going on? Yeah, and, and that's not always seen. And so they, they, uh, my friend said it this way one time. He said, make sure that you don't compare your blooper reel to everybody else's highlight reel. Don't just compare your blooper reel because you're looking at all the stuff you're messing up on daily, aren't you? <laughs> Look at, I didn't do this, should have done that, woke up late for here, and you, you're looking at your blooper reel, and then you see everybody else's, all they're sharing, they're normally not sharing their blooper reel, they're sharing their highlight reel. Look at all the good stuff I'm doing, and you're comparing that with the stuff that you're struggling with. And so we have to be really careful in that. And so I want you just for a second, is there a, a spot in your life, and you can just sort of jot those down as you're thinking through it, how have you noticed God growing you recently? Is there something recently in your life that you really have seen yourself growing in? Maybe you have just developed a, a more appreciation for the scriptures. Maybe you feel like, you know what, I've started to work towards purity, or my, my, my prayers have been filled with more faith, but I am seeing growth. So I want you to just maybe jot something down that you've seen growth in recently. Or, and it may not be complete, right? But it may be something that you're starting to see. I am starting to see progress in. And as you write that down, um, also consider this. Proverbs 27, 17 says that we are to sharpen one another. Some of y'all know that word. It says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So here are these two, these two forces that are going to come on, and they're going to sharpen one another. And this is the, the beautiful thing about that verse is, I always like to think about this way, that if a knife comes into contact with something, it's either going to do one of two things, sharpen it or dull it, right? If you take a knife, something's going to come up against it. It's either going to sharpen it or it's going to dull it. And the writer of Proverbs is saying this, the same way with people, right? They are either sharpening you for Christ or they are dulling you for Christ, we have all had those people in our life. They're sharpening us. They're making us want to be used more in the hand of the master, or they are dulling us. I love to always tell the story of my roommate in college who started knife collecting. I don't know why he was knife collecting in college. He just got into this you know, bit where he would just collect knives from eBay or Craigslist or whatever it was, and I was like, are you going to like whittle wood? He's like, no, you just never know when things are going to go down, man. I'm like, we live in, you know, Tigerville, South Carolina. Like, what's going to go on? And he would just, he would sharpen his knives. He, he would just, you know, look at his knives. He'd collect the knives. And one day he was just sharpening them, talking to me, not really thinking about it. He's like, this thing is so sharp. If you touch it, you'll bleed. Here, touch it. I'm like, no, that's not the best way to sell it, right? And, and one day he's just sharpening, sharpening, sharpening. That He's like talking about how sharp this thing is. He wasn't really looking and talking to me. And he accidentally put the knife into his thigh. Just was sort of sharp. It went, and he's like, I told you it was sharp. And, I, and so then we're arguing, are you supposed to take it out or leave it in? We didn't know. And so we're driving him to the hospital, and his mom is yelling at me. And I'm like, you're his mom, okay? I've only been responsible the last year and a half. I cannot fix what is broken in this man, okay? Um, and, and just really thinking about that day, it, it, the thing was so sharp because it had come against something that had been at that level or sharper that now it could be used for a unbelievable thing, like really quick, right? Because it had come against something that was just as tough as it was. Here's why I think this is so important. Right now, um, how many of you ever had that parent who told you that said, if, if uh, you show me your friends, I'll show you where you'll be in a few years, right? <laughs> you ever had your parents say that? And you, you disagreed with them when you were 16, and now you start thinking, uh, <laughs> maybe they weren't that off, right? Um, 
1 Corinthians 15, 33 says it this way, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Right? Bad company corrupts good morals. And so here's the picture, is that all people in our life, we have people that are either sharpening us for God's purposes, or either they are dulling us. They are taking out that life and that vibrancy and that usefulness. And so if we think about that, how people are supposed to sharpen one another, I love this question, but what is one way that people best sharpen you? Okay, what is one way that people best sharpen you? So some people like sharpening, and so you think through this and write down an answer there. But some of you like encouragement, like, hey, you're doing a good job. Some of you don't need encouragement. You need somebody to say, what's wrong with you? And, you know, why, and, and sort of get in your face, right? So what type of encouragement do you like to use? I want you to sort of like jot how you would describe that. So think through what is one way that people best sharpen you. All right, as you do this, what I would encourage is, I, I'm going to just get a few answers from the whole crowd here. We're going to go through a bunch of them, but that first question, who would give us something you would just give testimony to God in? Like, you know what? I've noticed God is growing me recently in this area. Does anybody want to give testimony to something you've been seeing growth in? You're not perfect then, but you've had growth. Who would give us an answer? All right. Gratitude. Good. So joy in the attitude of just doing the task that you need to do right now. That's changing. That's awesome. Sweet. Good. Yep. Being friendly and having friends. That's good. Now everybody here can keep them accountable for that all week. Now this is the problem. You start you know, putting that stuff out there. But no, that's right. Is that you're saying, I'm seeing a change in that, right? May not be the way that you used to operate. Okay. Okay. Good. So definitely not there, but starting to change. Okay. What's another one? Somebody? Yes. Yeah, so just that area of just doing those disciplines daily, now it's becoming almost like a habit. I'm not having to think about it. It's just starting to happen. That's awesome. I saw a hand over here somewhere. Yes. Daily prayers and daily devotions, just picking up. Isn't that great when you start seeing progress? You know, you still got a long way, but man, man, I, you know, it's like yesterday in the race, I ran that race and I didn't die. Like, this is a good sign for my legs healing and whatnot. Like, this is good. I'm making progress. It didn't kill me. Now, what's one way that people best sharpen you? Can somebody give me an uh, idea? How, how many of you, is there a certain way that people sharpen you? Yep. Constructive criticism. He didn't say destructive criticism. He said constructive, right? So they, but it, it, you don't mind somebody telling you something, right? As long as it's helpful, constructing and, and sort of saying, I can be a little critical here, but let me be constructive in that. I think that's a huge one. Yep. That constructive criticism, there you go. So constructive criticism is tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me how I need to correct it, right? That's a good, good approach. And here's the thing, folks, if you love somebody enough to risk a little bit of awkwardness in the relationship, to say, I love you enough that I, I don't want you to keep going on in this, and it's going to be an awkward conversation, but, man, you're, it's better for that person, right? I mean, I think all of us, y'all ever had that either come to Jesus or something conversation that a parent or a boss or somebody had with you, and it wasn't fun, but was it good for you? 
Oh, absolutely it was. What's another way? Yep. That's good. Redirecting your thinking. Hey, think about it a different way. Don't don't just get stuck in this. Let me let me help you see something else. Yep. Do you have one? That's good. Absolutely. So if you think about it, just being able to redirect those thoughts and the way that you think through things. Uh, when we think about sharpening, folks, you know, once again, some of you, um, this is where I, I, I love to think about a, a group of men that I was discipling a few years ago. Some of those guys needed me to sharpen them by this. You dummy, why aren't you getting up in the morning and reading your Bible? Grow up, be a man, and get it done. If you don't, I'm going to go tell everybody that you're a moron. And they'd respond to it well, right? And if I used that approach on the guy next to him, you know what happened? He would cry, he'd call his mama, his mama would call me, and I'd never see him again, right? Same approach, just different way. And we're all in need of different ways of just sharpening, right? Just different approaches. And so the same way some of y'all read Gary Chapman's book called The Love Languages, Five Love Languages, we all respond differently. Some people respond this way or that way. So we have to really think through how you're best sharpened. And so with that, here's what I want to encourage you. If you get a plan together and you try to fly solo, you're going to go just as far as solo can take you, okay? That'll be it. But if you also say, I'm going to need a this in my life, you've got to really start thinking through it. Like, there are people in your life that you may say, I can think through a guy when I was in college. He came up to me and said, uh, hey, it's the area. You're my chaplain in my dorm. Here's how you can help me. Uh, I'm looking at stuff on the Internet I don't need to look at, and I want to stop. I said, how serious are you at stopping? He goes, I'm real serious. I said, okay. I said, here's how we'll do this. I said, why don't you turn your computer to face the door? So if anybody ever opens up the door, they can see what's on the computer. Right now, you got it hidden from everybody, so you have enough time to move stuff around. I said, let's change the position. He goes, well, that's going to be a lot of work, man. I'll do it for you. I said, how about this? Uh, if it gets bad enough, because it, that, that didn't help. I said, how about we put a password on your screensaver so you can only be on the computer if your roommate, only your roommate knows the password, and only he can get on the computer, so he has to be in the room for you to get on the computer. That's a little extreme, man, don't you think? You tell me. You can't stop looking at this on your own strength. Maybe it's not that extreme, right? I said, here's what I'll do. I'll turn my computer around where it's at, facing my door in my dorm room. I'm going to unlock my door. And I said, from here on out, actually, my door will normally be open, wide open. And if you ever see my door closed in the middle of the day, you have absolute right to open that door without knocking and see what I'm looking at the computer. No right then. I'll do that. You do that for me. Can I do that for you? Uh, I, I don't know, man. I don't, and this is where it comes down to, right? Some people need somebody very practical in your face on things, and you just need it. Sometimes you got to say, no, you are going to get out of the bed today, and I'm going to drag you out if I got to, right? Some of us need that, right? Some of you are like, why did you have to say that, right? But some of us also need some more gentle coaching, and we need some encouragement, and we need different things. So you've got to think through, if you really want to see this thing successful, who are the people around you, and what have you given them access to do to encourage you? Now, as we look at Luke 14, I want us to, to study uh, this question here, um, but to look at uh, this passage of Scripture, which I absolutely love from Jesus, as he was talking about to people, uh, what does it mean to follow him for the long haul? So let's start verse 25. 
It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, when you, you hear this, right, this is pretty uh, unbelievable, but look at that first question, right? What is the most shocking suggestion by Jesus here? What is it? When you read his words, love him more than anything else. And he says some very harsh words. What do he say? He says, yeah, I want you to hate it. Now, we have always interpreted those passages, and I think rightfully so. Does Jesus want you to hate your mama? No. What? Now, think about this for a second. Did Jesus' mama ever have a problem with Jesus when he was on earth? She did. I mean, after the manger, Jesus started doing some stuff that got on her nerves a little bit. Staying at church late one time when he was 12 year old, hanging out with the, you know, and family's leaving, he's there, gets her worried sick. Then all of a sudden he's 30, he starts preaching, and at what point crowds are growing, and what happens? Mom and brothers come outside and say, We can't get in that door, but somebody needs to go tell Jesus, I need to talk to him. Well, who are you? I'm his mama, boy. You know, just grab him by the ear. You go tell him that I want to see him right now. And the brother's like, he's embarrassing us, doing bad for the family name. Somebody's got to get him and tell him to be quiet. He can't do this anymore. They come in and say, hey, Jesus, um, there's a lady out there. She seems pretty upset. There's a couple of brothers and whatnot, a sister too, that they say that that's your family out there. And what did Jesus say? Who's my mother? Who's my brothers? Are not these doing the will of my father, not my family? Now, folks, if I would have said that when I was a kid, I know what would have happened to me. My mom might be half my size, but she'd have gotten me, and I'd still be feeling it, right? Okay, like, if I go, who's my mama? Okay, she's I'm your mama. Come here, boy. I'll show you who I am. Like, this is, how many of you ever read that statement, and that bothers you a little bit about Jesus? It's okay to say that. Like, that, man, that, I didn't see that coming from Jesus, but what, is, what does he know about in that moment? They are trying to stop what he is doing for the Lord. He knows that. He knows what they're about. And so what does he say? And folks, this is important for everybody here to hear this. Sometimes your family in the church is going to be stronger than your family in physical flesh and blood. That there are bonds within the body of Christ that might be even stronger than your own flesh and blood relationship. Have you experienced that at some point in your life? That you go, this might be flesh and blood, but we are in different different worldviews. We are far away from each other. Now, that does not give you a free pass to avoid them, to stop taking care of them. No, no, no. But what that does say is this. What the beautiful thing is about the church, not the building, the people, is even if your family abandons you, you've got a family. I mean, I can't think about how many times that I'll, look, I'll think through my life and going, this man was a father to me. This woman was a mother to me. This, this is a brother to me, a sister to me, and where would I be? And so Jesus says, here's my physical flesh and blood family trying to slow down the ministry, and he's saying, guys, sometime your family's going to turn on you. You better make sure that you've got a, a spiritual family beside you in those moments because it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. And so when he says this, we also have to remember, not only did Jesus say that sharp of words, so you go, okay, that makes sense when he would say whoever you know, doesn't hate his brother or his sister or whatever, that makes sense. But out of the seven statements when Jesus was on the cross, does anybody know what one had to do with his mama? What was it? 
He looks down at John, the disciple whom he loves and trusts more than anybody, and says, Woman, behold your son. John, this is your mama from now on. What does that mean? When Jesus was on the cross bearing the sins of us and for all those who would call upon his name, he was still making sure somebody took care of his mama. That's beautiful to me, folks. That is absolutely beautiful to me. I would imagine if Jesus is literally experiencing the wrath of God of all mankind on him on a cross being publicly humiliated, he'd go, Mama, somebody else is going to have to deal with your needs. i got stuff going on right now, right? No, he stops and goes, Mother, woman, let me... From now on, the person I trust in the world, you are responsible for her as if she is your own mother. I trust you more than anybody. I trust you more than my flesh and blood, brothers, because those guys, they don't, they don't know the Lord yet. They're not walking with the Lord. But I trust John. John, you, you watch out for mama, okay, from this point on. So does Jesus have a problem taking care of family relationships, folks? No. He, he was important. Peter? One of, the first per, one of the first people that Jesus uh, heals, Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I just think about this. How many brownie points could you get with your mother-in-law for a few years if you brought Jesus in to heal her from her sickness? I'm like, that's not a bad idea, right? Okay. Like, but when it, so when he comes in, he's not just saying just do away with these relationships. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother, all these different things, even his own life, he said, if you compare your relationship priorities... Your love and commitment to Jesus should be so high that your love for the people that you have on this earth that is so strong, it should almost seem like hatred in the comparison to them. They're that far away. He's not saying, hate your mama, hate your brother. He's saying, prioritize me even more than that. Can I just tell you, if Jesus is in his priority seat in my life, my wife, my kids, my mama, my brother, they're all very, very gratefully benefited from that. They do. So he says, even though this is the most shocking suggestion by Jesus, whoever doesn't hate his family, he's saying comparatively so to make sure. And then how would you explain that concept to someone more immature in the faith? I think that's kind of what we were talking about here, right? That you would say it's comparison, right? It's an issue of comparison, that you love him more than you love anything else in the world. So when you turn uh, the page there, uh, I want you to read this. It says, in Jesus' culture... Hating was an expression of loving something less based on a comparison. Other biblical examples employ this language to make a statement on the placement of priority rather than an example of vindictiveness. So in Genesis chapter 29, you remember a guy by the name of Jacob, and he really, really loved a woman named Rachel. Anybody remember how many years he worked to get that woman? Seven years, and then all of a sudden on his wedding night, it gets really dark. He gets a little bit too much wine in the system, and he goes in and gets married, and he wakes up the next morning going, that's not Rachel. That is his sister Leah, which I had overlooked, intentionally so, because I looked at her one too many times and said, I don't, I don't want her. I want Rachel. And what does he say? Hey, it's not right. You got to have the old, I can't give the younger daughter away from the older. He's like, what? You just set me up, man. You had the veil on her and everything confused me. What am I supposed to do? You work another seven years, you get her sister. And then it says this beautiful thing. And, his, and working for his father-in-law was like a couple of days just to get his wife. Well, that sounds good. This is a crazy dysfunctional family. I mean, this is, you know, he's got two sisters. I'm sure that worked just great for him, right? No, Scripture's saying this is a problem. And in Genesis 29, at one point, he says that, that Jacob hated Leah. 
Now, when you read it, though, the next few verses around it, it seems like he's caring for her and having a relationship with her. What is that saying? Does he actually hate her? Just compared to his love for Rachel, it was almost like he loved one and hated the other. He preferred that one that much. That's significant. So obviously it doesn't mean vindictiveness. Uh, Matthew 10, 37 is the same kind of passage we talked about. I'll tell you, uh, that's why I, I love and I'm, I'm thankful we're going to study Malachi starting next week, but I told you that we start out really hard out the gates. I am ready to, there's eight, um, eight passages of scripture we're going to study in Malachi. I am eager to preach t- two through uh, eight. It's week one that some of y'all are going to go, whoa. You know why it starts off? He looks at him and says, I have loved you. And the people of God go, how have you loved us? Look at our situation, God. You haven't loved us. He said, I've loved Jacob and I've hated Esau. You do what, God? You hated Esau? Yeah, I chose Jacob over Esau. Doesn't that not confirm my love to you? And all of a sudden, our minds don't go to Jacob. It goes to who? Esau. God, what were you doing with Esau, right? What is he saying in that? He's saying, I had preferential treatment of Jacob over Esau. Esau was the older and should have gotten this based on respect and works, but instead I did the unlikely and unexpected and loved the one who should not have gotten the love and preference. Why? Because I can do what I want to, and that's who I wanted this to fall to. That's why. And so this is a hard passage to get. Now, in this, if you look through the passage of Jacob and Esau and all the story, God doesn't hate Esau. He cares for Esau, gives things to Esau. So what does this mean? In comparison, he chose Jacob for something that he rejected Esau to. And so that comparison there. So the same way Jesus is saying this, I'm not wanting you to be ugly to your family. I'm wanting you to prioritize me even above your family. And so this question, what does it practically look like to place your commitment to Jesus above all other relationships? What does it practically look like to place your commitment to Jesus above all other relationships? I want you at your table to answer that question. I'm going to give you two minutes on your mark. Get set. Go. All right. What does it practically look like to place your commitment to Jesus above all other relationships? Who would give me an answer you just gave? Somebody give me something that's good? Yep. There you go. So, so what you can do is you've got some margin, you've got some free time saying, am I doing it to really cultivate my relationship with the Lord? Reading the Bible, praying and whatnot versus always spending on other things there. It's great. What else? Yep. Okay. That's fine. Spins are good. There you go. Yeah, because he's first, I can have the best in all my relationships. That is absolutely true, right? So you say, I'm going to put him first, and it puts all those other relationships in general. When I think through the Bible, I was trying to think through what relationships in the Bible can we see that at some point God calls on people to submit to someone in some type of authority position. When I think through those, I can think of four relationships in the Bible, okay? Some of these are more popular than others, but I don't think any of them are popular because we don't want to listen to anybody, right? I can think of, in the Bible... Uh, he teaches us to be um, submit to governing leaders, right? Is that true? He tells us to be governing, to submit to governing leaders. Does he tell wives to submit to their loving husbands? Yes, he does. Um, that's not a bad thing. We'll get to that in a second. Does he tell children to submit to their parents? 
Yep. Uh, and the last one I can say is, does he tell church members to submit to their leaders? He does. Okay, now that seems weird for me to say. I'm, what, I'm three out of four of those. <laughs> I feel like a pretty good night. Okay, so um, <laughs> husband, father, pastor. Um, but ultimately, let me ask you this. Do you find times in the Bible, even when God's people go against the governing leader? The answer is yes. And why is that? Because when the governing leader steps outside of leadership of the Word of God, he does not expect your allegiance to go to the politician rather than your God. Make sense? So, someone has asked me before, they said, have you ever done anything illegal? Yes, I have. Well, it was one of the most illegal things you've ever done. I've taken the gospel and Bibles into countries where they are illegal. They're not supposed to be there. Do I have a bad, guilty conscience about that? No, I do not. Why is that? Because there's a higher law. There's a higher law that those people need to know that they're in their sin and they're dying, and I want to get the word to them. So I'm open to if the government says, if we catch you, hear the punishments. That's fine. I'll deal with that. But there's a higher law that I'm submitting to because if you're stepping outside the lines, folks, could there come a time in the wonderful United States of America that we are somewhat pressured to do certain things that are against biblical values? Yes, that time could happen, might happen sooner than any of us expect. And so what happens at that point? Do you submit to the governing leaders or do you submit to the Word of God? It's happening now, right, Gene? It's happening right now. It's starting to push in. Some of y'all know this. In my position, will I be called on certain things to do very soon that will somehow go against what my conscience is and what I believe in the Word of God? It is happening. And there's court cases that form around these things. And every sermon and everything that I ever uh, blog about or write out for our church could it be taken for evidence? Absolutely, it could. Absolutely. But yet, even in that, right, I'm going to put him in a priority rather than what whoever's in the office at that time. I'm going to put him in priority. Um, husbands and wives, do you think God wants a wife to submit to a husband that is telling her to do something unbiblical and ungodly? No, absolutely not. Some of the best things that can happen for, uh, for a wife who's in that situation to lovingly say, I understand what you want me to do, but my God wants me to do this, and my allegiance is to him first. I'm going to respect you, and I'm not going to yell at you, and I'm not going to say you're an idiot and blah, 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 but I'm going to tell you this. If we got to choose here, he's my first. God is my first before you, and so I'm not going to. What happens if that woman is in danger when that happens? She leaves that house, and she finds protection, and she calls the police. That's what she does. That, that, that's my opinion on that. You, you, you submit to a certain place until that man starts going around and what the Word of God says, and then you say, my allegiance belongs to him. Uh, parents to children, will there ever be a time that a child might need to disobey their parent? Yeah. If that parent is telling them to do something ungodly, unbiblical, I want you to do this. No, I, can't, I can't do that. Is there a time when church members should completely go against their pastors and get rid of them and get a new one? Absolutely. Not here, but in other places, yes. In other places, it needs to happen all over the place, but not here. But here, here's the thing, folks. Hey, um, you're going <laughs> to... Listen, you've been around me long enough. Some of you have been around me long enough. You see the frailties. You see the problems. You see the weaknesses in me. Those things need to be addressed. They need to be pointed out. I need to work on them. But let me tell you, the moment that you see me walking away from God's word, you get rid of me. 
you get rid of me. You drop me as quickly as you possibly can. The moment that I start leading outside of this, well, I know the Bible says this, but that's the moment you get rid of and you find yourself a pastor who loves God's word. That's what you do. But at the other point that I would say this, and, and I, could, I would say this a lot more forceful if I was at somebody else's church today, but at the point where I feel like God has put a position in me to lead and to care for you guys, if I'm saying, hey, let, let's, let's do this, and it doesn't go against Scripture, is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. And so we all come alongside it. So what my, my point in all this is to say that even in those relationships, if Christ is first above anything else, all these other relationships are in their best spot. What had Adam and Eve? Adam gets his, his punishment for sinning, and what does God say to him? Because you listened to the voice of your wife. What? what? 2019, that would not work today, right? Well, he's good. I'm about to punish you because you listened to Eve. What does that mean? Because you listened to Eve more than you listened to me. You put her here. That's my role right there. She wanted you to sin. You, you, I wanted you to obey, and you listened to her more. And so... What happens, it, that's what it practically looks like. It says when Jesus spoke of taking up a cross, Luke 14, 27, think about it, it was before he died on his, right? We always hear, take up your cross and follow me, and we think about Jesus on the cross. He said this before he died. He said this before he died. We always think about it, with, he's going to use the example. That's not when he said that statement. He said it probably a year or so before he even went to his cross. Did any of these guys think that's where he was heading? No, not a chance. So think about it this way. What would those original disciples have understood Jesus to mean at that moment when he instructed them to take up their cross? Before he had went to his, he says to them in verse 27, right? He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In that year, in that situation, what were they thinking? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, it represented death. Crucifixion, that, that, the cross represented death. So I'm going to die to myself and what I want to do, right? This is a, a pretty big statement, but I, I think it's important for us to remember, this is before he went to his cross. So when he looks at these disciples and says, you need to take up your cross. If you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. And they go, Jesus, this is where criminals go to die. Like, you're not coming back from this. He's like, exactly. And that's what I want your commitment level to be to me about now what I want you to do is I want you to read the words in Luke 14, 28 through 33. There's going to be two examples there, and you see there's two questions uh, right after that. How is discipleship like building a tower, and how is discipleship like waging war? At your table, I want somebody to read those verses 28 through 33, and I want you to take about five minutes or so to answer those two questions together. On your mark, get set, and go. Verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. How is discipleship like building a tower? Here's what I'll, I know. There's a lot of good discussion going on the table. I think a lot of times what I will see is that people will have an idea, a goal, a motivation, and they never plan to actually see it happen. Sometimes people, they go to a camp, they go to a service, they go to a revival meeting, and boy, you are energized, and you don't know what to do. You have no idea what to do as a result. I'm going to get right with the Lord. All right, how? I don't know. It's just going to happen. Nope, normally doesn't. I'm going to start reading the Bible. All right, where are you going to start? I don't know. Guess what? I can tell you how long that's going to be. 
How many times have people said, I'm going to build this tower, and they have not made the plans to complete it? Just saying, let me, let me figure out what I'm going to do. Um, I, folks, I, I talk with so many times where people can even be in a leadership position at church. It, it does more than affect them. We're going to do with this. Well, how are you going to fund it? I don't know. All right, we might want to figure that out. <laughs> Who's going to be leading it? I don't know. Who's going to be accountable? We'll, we'll figure that out. Yeah, yeah, And then you'll move on to the next thing when that doesn't work, right? It happens all the time where people have these big goals, but if you're going to say, I'm going to do this, you've got to say, all right, what are the things that I need? What are the materials that I need? Who do I need to help along the way, right? What kind of resources am I going to make sure to pull this off? What's the design I'm looking for? Who's going to come and inspect this thing and make sure nobody falls when they step into that tower, right? Those are those types of things. Does that work in our own discipleship? Absolutely. So if you want to read the Word, you're going to start meditating on the Word. Maybe you're saying, I'm going to start memorizing Scripture. Can I tell you? You probably need to figure out what you're going to memorize, how you're going to keep track of the verses that you're memorizing, who's going to evaluate you, what, what, what's, what kind of timeline are you working on, because I guarantee this. If you say, I'm just going to start memorizing Scripture more, if that's it, it will not happen. I'm going to memorize one verse per week. Now, when you have a goal like that, can you tell if you achieve that by next week? Yeah, you at least know. So when we get together and have these plans, I don't want you to say, to memorize Scripture more. It is, this is the specific thing I'm trying to work on. So my discipleship plan, here's my little bookmark that I got in my Bible right now. If I go to Category 5, I will focus on the spiritual discipline of. Here's what I'm working on the next few months. I go ahead and say, I've been saying this to a few groups, so keep me accountable, and this is... Oh, this is going to be a pain. Um, but the discipline I'm working on right now is I'm wanting to memorize Scripture. And a lot of people say, I thought you have memorized Scripture. And I, that has been a part of my, my deal, but I want to up that. I've got a little stagnant in it. So my goal right now that I'm working on is I'm trying to memorize the book of Philippians. That's what I'm working on. For right now, these next few months, I'm trying to memorize chapter 1 through chapter 4. I want to be able to know that word so very well. I want to know it. By the time that I preach it, when we start in February next year, we're going to start walking through Philippians together. Guess what happens? I'm, I started, I was up, I forgot what verse I was up through um, the other day when I was going through it. But you know what happens is I'm memorizing this. I'm picking up on phrases I never would have picked up on if I just read it real quick. I'm really starting to soak in it. By the time we get to Philippians, I'm not going to even have written down a sermon outline, but I'm going to have that word so in, dwelling inside of me I mean, it's just it's going to be able to come out. So that so for me, here's the thing. I want you, when you're looking at this, as you say, I'm going to focus on the spiritual discipline of memorizing Scripture, at some point you might want to say, and here's the goal. Very specific, because if you just say, I want to pray more, I want to be more godly, I want to be nicer to people, there's no way to see if you're doing that. You've got to get specific in there somehow. Does that make sense? All right. Now the next is, how is discipleship like waging war? Look at verse 31. I love this. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great, great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Um, so this is, this is great. How many of you have ever played the board game Risk? Raise your hand. Okay, say. So, me and the boys, we started playing this about a year ago. If you haven't ever played it, it's like one of those games like, it's not like it's like Monopoly in that it can take your entire weekend if you you know you're not care it just can take a long long time. But what you're doing is funny, you know you're you're winning a war with little plastic army men, but it's a serious game, okay? Just want to make sure you know that. It's a serious game. But you basically you get these certain amount of armies and you go, "Okay, if I'm trying to take over this land, you have to determine if I put this many guys on the field, 
The opportunity is I might expose myself and not have enough to defend what I've already got, and I'm going to get stretched too thin, and I'm going to lose it. Now, does that apply to discipleship? Yeah. Sometimes you can be thinking, I'm going to go take this, and you're not watching your backside, and how somebody's going to come invade in this. you got to fortify all those areas. And so this guy's saying, look, when Jesus says, there comes this king, he's going to look at it and say, do I have enough to win this battle? And you better plan before sending out all your troops. Listen, our... I mean, think about how many times when their president, his legacy has been tarnished for all the good things he did because of one misstep in a policy issue and invading somewhere or doing something with military, and you go, you weren't thinking straight. Now, obviously, there can be things you weren't expecting, but that can define a presidency, right? Same way for all of us. You're looking at your discipleship plan as if you're going against an enemy. Do we have an enemy in this, by the way? Yep. Let me ask you, does he have a strategy for you? He's probably got a more articulate strategy than you do right now. It's specific. I'm going to hit you here, and then when all of a sudden these defenses go down, I'm going to come around the side, I'm going to get you right there, blah, 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 it's going to happen, this domino is going to fall, and you're done. He's got it. He's not in a rush. He's got a plan. He's got a strategy. Got it all mapped out for you. So if that's the case, what do you do? You go, all right, if I were to have a weak spot, which you probably do, by the way, where would he come at me first? So what do I need to fortify and make sure that I've got some stuff there? Now, he took this area of my life a couple months ago. How do I need to get it back now? When am I going to start taking back what the enemy has taken from me? Where do I start? This is what this waging war. And Ephesians 6 talks about spiritual warfare in, in those types of manners. And so in that last little paragraph, it says, Each of us must count the cost to follow Jesus. We need more than motivation to begin, and we need preparation to endure. If not careful, we will finish this session with high aspirations, yet fail to follow through due to a lack of planning. Folks, so many people I know don't finish. It's not because they don't have the heart. They just have not figured out how to get going in it. They just haven't figured out. You can have the best intentions in the world to go be a missionary, but at some point you got to get on a plane or a boat or a truck or something and get somewhere, right? Got to have a plan for it. You've got to make preparations for it. When I was um, a couple summers ago, me and the boys were going to Tennessee. I was supposed to speak at a, um, a camp for a week. And, um, and, I, and I, love, I love what happened there because all week long, uh, my truck light, the engine light kept, you know, flickering on. And you know what you do with that check engine light. You got to advance auto parts and go, oh, it's probably just this. Or if you don't, you just put a little black piece of tape and you don't have to stare at it anymore, right? It's just fine. It's, it's operating just fine. That week, my primary objective going to Tennessee was to preach the gospel to a few hundred people. And I'm going to just give everything. My, this is one of the first times that I've ever gone one of those weeks where I had all of my outlines done, all of my slides done. Everything was ready to go. All I just need to do is just show up, right? So me and the boys, we get in the truck, we're going down 85, going to the Charlotte airport, and all of a sudden something happens in the truck, and it starts making some funny sounds, and starting to slow down. They go, Dad, what's the speed limit on the interstate? <laughs> Not this. <laughs> uh, and, and it just starts slowing down. I finally have to pull over. We're able to finally get it to a spot, and they can't fix it here. Going to have to go over there. We get a rental car. We're flying just to try to make it to the airport in time, literally running through the airport, trying to catch this plane, get on the airplane right before this thing takes off, gets out to, to Nashville. We make it. Everything's fine. But I, but I thought about it. What was so interesting was primary objective for me was to preach the gospel right? Secondary or tertiary issue was take care of your truck. Now, what's more important, taking care of my truck or preaching the gospel? Well, I'd say preaching the gospel. I think we'd all agree with that. Problem is this, if you don't take care of your truck, you may not get there to preach the gospel. 
And some of us right now, you got a great idea of what you want to do. you got to work on the check engine light. It is flashing. It's telling you, you might want to look at this. And you go, but i got to go. I want to do this. And I know your heart. But here's the thing. This discipleship plan is you saying, where's the check engine light on? I'm going to address it. Care how much it costs. I don't care what I got to do. I need to do these things, or else I may not get to where God has called me to go. And so when we evaluate, the question is there's anything you need? It says after you complete your plan, write out some notes under each one of your necessary steps or helpful resources. Think through these items. I've just given you a list to think through. But is there a resource I need? Is there a wise mentor I need to seek? What are the next steps? And how will I know if I have been successful? So when I look through these, these, these six categories, as you think through your plan this week, and once again, we're going to kind of turn them in, so to speak, to the Lord next week, um, is what are those things, not only are, that you can answer, but I want you to get real specific in. Here's some of the stuff I've talked with with people, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. But in that first category, I need to delight in Jesus more than, here's some of the things that I've heard from people. I need to delight in Jesus more than my job, more than my health and fitness, <laughs> I need to delight in Jesus more than people's approval. Those types of things are people saying, okay, that, that's an issue for me, and I need to address it. My disobedience that must be addressed, I've heard everything from um, lust, greed. Um, I have heard things of um, all types of different just kind of issues, whether it's a sarcastic attitude, your speech and whatnot, a temper, those types of things. Pivotal doctrine for me to study, I've heard uh, is the Word of God how do we know the Word of God is the Word of God? I've heard the Trinity. I've heard the role of the Holy Spirit. I've heard the second coming. I've heard one that a lot of people, that some people have come up to and they'll say, you know what, I know what I believe, but one of the most helpful things is, is could you teach it to somebody else? Okay? So, so here's an example. You might say, I, I believe everything in the Bible. Well, that, that's good. But could you teach it to somebody? Are you at a place where you could teach it? And I'll also say this. So many of us right now, you might feel the pressure of what the culture is telling you about marriage and gender and all these kind of things, and you might know what you believe, but could you go to the chapter and verse and defend that to somebody? That maybe that's how you need to think through it. What's an issue that maybe you got a family member that's always like, I don't believe what you believe on that, and you really can't defend it that well. And I'm not saying you learn it so that you can be a really rude person and yell at the person, but somebody can say, let me open up the God's Word to you and show you where I get this from. And humbly go at it with somebody. Um, uh, I need development and learning how to. Um, I have heard people say I need learning, um, development and learning how to share the gospel, uh, how to teach the, uh, the class that you're, you're leading in church. I've heard on um, I need to be a better spouse. I need to learn how to disciple my kids in my home. I've heard people I need to learn how to budget. And some have even said I need to get my physical fitness under shape because I don't think I'm glorifying God with my body right now. Are all those good approaches? Sure they are. All of them are. It's just you saying, how can I work towards maturity? I'll focus on the spiritual discipline of reading the Bible, prayer, memorizing, uh, giving, fasting, um, what, just worship practices. Some, somebody came to me and said, I feel like I need to have a better system of, of preparing my heart for worship every Sunday. Is that a good one? Yeah, that's great. That's a wonderful one to do. Um, and my prayers of dependence will ask God too. There's so many different things that, that you can go down. I want this to be personal to you. And the goal would be this. And a few months from now, you go, man, look at how these muscles have been developed. Look what God's able to do in my life. So once again, you've got those, uh, hopefully those papers from this morning. Work on them this week. Uh, we'll come in on um, Sunday, sort of present those before the Lord. And that'll just sort of be a way of accountability for you that we can send those off to. Does that make sense? 
You folks are great. Lord, thank you so much for this church family. I love them, uh, and I'm just so thankful for how they teach me and that they allow me to teach them. God, I pray that you would use this time, uh, and especially this week, as we really get very specific in our own plans as we become um, people who take discipleship seriously. Thank you for the growth that we're seeing. Thank you that you're patient with us as we still have much more to go. And I pray, Lord, that you would just let this um, just take root in our hearts and really catch wind here in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks.